Welcome to another episode of The Root of All Business. This is your host, Jasbeer, and today's guest is Russell Noelty. Now, Russell is a USA Today bestselling author, speaker, a six-figure creative entrepreneur. He has raised over $170,000 on Kickstarter, uh, built a mailing list of over 20,000 people, and uh, tabled over more than 150 events um, since 2016. He now teaches creatives how to lead a complete and successful life through his teaching academy and the podcast, Complete Creative. Russell, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Well, today we're going to talk about, you know, running, running uh, live conferences and how to, do it, how to do it successfully, whether you're someone who is a non-tech company and, you know, communicating with your teams or your, with your suppliers or consumers or an entrepreneur running your events and um, getting your message out there. So, yeah, I mean, let's, let's kick off uh, with uh, what's the, just an interesting question off the blog. What's the largest conference you've, you've run? I mean, not that big. The conferences that I tend to do are very uh, small and focused in niche. I did one on comic creators. And uh, for comic creators, uh, they had about 800 people attend. We, had, we did one for authors that had about uh, six, 700 people attend. And then I did a one for my own company and I had about 150 to 200 attendees. But the great thing about virtual conferences, they don't have to be big to be very, very effective. Sure. Awesome. And, and how does, uh, you know, how do you make sure, you know, let's, be, let's, let's go to the study. How do you make sure if I am within an organization or outside and I want to run an effective, you know, during, especially during these COVID times where, you know, the conferences might be large, might be a lot more people, um, anything over, I've seen, you know, companies, established companies running, um, you know, these trainings over conf- conferences. And it seems like anything over a certain amount of people, which usually is around 100 people, you see that the the tech can't quite handle it very well, um, and that's where the you kind of find out the reality of it. You know, fifteen, twenty, thirty people is is kind of normal. So how does one go about it? What do you look for? How do you, in terms of tech, how do you get that area covered and make sure you're solid? Uh, sure. So there's a couple of options. Uh, for instance, uh, getting a hundred people or more onto a Zoom call is quite hard. But if you use uh, Zoom's webinar feature then uh, up to however many people you pay for can listen in. Uh, the same thing with, I use a program called StreamYard. So it streams out to all of the places that I, I, have, um, that I have profiles. So Twitch and, and YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn. I believe they also uh, do LinkedIn. Uh, so I'm able to, uh, to, to push out one. So it's just me and up to five other people who can be on the stream at one time. And then it pushes out to all of the people. So the tech is not a big deal. Google also has a similar feature in Google Meet where you could get web, where you can uh, add uh, webinar capabilities. There are webinar specific programs like Webinar Jam or Webinar Ninja that also deal with these webinar uh, possibilities. So the problems seem to arise when you have a bunch of people on like a Zoom call like we're on right now. So there's 50, 60, 70, 80, whatever, however many people are on the Zoom call, uh, even if they're listening. Uh, so you want to start by, well, there's a couple of reasons why you want to like, make sure that you have a webinar feature where you can't see everyone. One is uh, just legally, you haven't gotten the rights to broadcast all the people who are on the program. So you don't want to have yeah. to deal with that. But second is that sort of bandwidth issue. 
And I also find that if you start things um, off the top of the hour, you will have uh, a little bit better issues. You tend to have the most people jumping on at, you know, between the five minutes before the hour and five minutes after the hour, because uh, that's when most meetings start. So if you just start kind of at an off time. The other thing is, I think we all understand that you know, tech is tech and you just have to deal with it. One of the best ways to deal with it is to have more than one person speaking at any one time. So I like to have myself and at least two guests so that if there's a problem with one of the guests, um, I can still keep the conversation going while my team is doing tech support with the other guests to make sure they are uh, uh, able to get back up. And usually with a guest, I mean, 90% of the time, it's, uh, they have to log back out and log back in again, and then it works perfectly fine. Sure. And in terms of, you know, um, how do you kind of find out that the kind of um, the right kind of guests for your show, how do you kind of determine who's going to bring in what? And uh, do you have some sort of a call, a pre-call with them and have some type of conversation? What, what do you talk about with them? Well, I mean, for me, I know all of the guests who are coming on my, for the, for the most part, either me or my co-host will know the, uh, the guest personally. And so I won't have to have a pre-call. We'll already know how they are. Sure. I'm going to be honest. I hate the idea of a pre-call. I think they waste so much time, energy, and effort on both people's sides. Sure. Uh, there's so much information on YouTube that you can look up on somebody, see how they present. There's just literally a Google search you can do and you can see how many times they've presented. If a presenter is worth their salt, they'll have a page on their website that shows the other presentations that they've done, where they've been booked, uh, what they've done before. There are referrals that you can ask for other people, for other people in your industry. I mean, most people are going to run a virtual conference in their industry because they're trying to either do marketing or sales. And the people who you're most likely to get marketing or sales from are other people uh, in your industry. Uh, you know, uh, when we do, I do the conferences, I'm looking for either other writers because I run a, or creatives. I run an academy called The Complete Creative, or I'm looking for readers for my books and comics. So those are the people that I'm trying to attract. And uh, the virtual conference is really good because it's a rather cheap way to be able to do a lot of marketing at once. Even if you can't do sales, I mean, I would not, I would not do a virtual conference if you're planning to do a ton of sales. Um, not that you can't make money on a virtual conference, but I would say the first time, at least just try to do it to get branding recognition. And then, uh, but even if you're just doing it for branding recognition, like is what the ones I generally do are, you know, you're talking about for no cost uh, or a very little cost, maybe a couple of hundred dollars, you can reach out to everyone in your industry, pretty much big names, small names, subject matter experts. The goal for, and, and, and get, you know, I mean, one of our conferences got another 700 people on our mailing list. Another one got another 800. Another one got another couple hundred. So I spend a whole lot more on marketing to get a whole lot less than 800 new new targeted people on my list. So you probably already know the people that you want to talk to. I mean, you've probably read articles by them, probably seen talks by them. You may listen to their podcast already. And that, those are the people that I target. I'm not super interested in having a non-established person because if I have someone who's not established, unless they are a subject matter expert, then they are not going to have the pull to bring new people in. So I'm really looking for people who are known in the, whatever field I'm trying to run a show in so that uh, I can use that marketing to get, to get in uh, newspapers or uh, media 
to get people excited, to be able to just tag them and have them share it. That's, that's the biggest interest. So generally, when I go to book somebody, I already know that they can do the work because I've either seen it or had other people who've seen it or uh, some other thing that, uh, that shows that they can do it. I mean, my industry is quite a bit more uh, front-facing, outward-facing, like you see a lot of people than others. So I would say that if you are more academic or you're an industry that doesn't have podcasts or things that are like that outward-facing, then uh, you might want to do a pre-call just to make sure. Uh, but uh, generally, who you're looking for are people that already have a bit of a presence and already have a bit of a history because they are going to be the ones that are going to be able to drive people to the uh, conference. And you get a little, even if you only get a little bit from each person, you are going to get, end up getting quite a bit. Uh, you know, we had 50 people the last time do our uh, conference, uh, 50 creators involved in our conference. And that definitely helped the little ones, the big ones, the really uh, big guests all helped in there a little bit to like make sure that everybody showed up. Sure. I mean, uh, you know, that, that's, that's certainly a strategy. In, 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 you know, you're right in saying that, you know, you obviously want to get someone who has a bit of a presence, who's an expert, a thought leader. And you can, of course, look at their, their, their material, what they've presented on YouTube and other way. I don't know if, you know, your experience has been different to mine. Mine has been where certainly I look for similar kind of guests who have some sort of presence or, you know, an expertise. But when it really came to a one-on-one -on -one conversation, I found that the, the conversation wasn't as flowing. So by getting that, spending that 20 minutes before, uh, while it may seem, in my, my situation anyway, it may seem a waste of time, but for me, it was definitely worthwhile to see if that, I, that person and I have a chemistry in terms of having that conversation and having that flow. Sure. So I don't actually bring just one person on. I'm always doing sure. a panel. Well, that's not true. Uh, so there are two different pieces. Well, there's many different yeah. pieces, but when you're doing the, 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 the live, the outward facing part, you want to have keynote speakers. Um, your keynote speakers are going to be people who are like well-known in your industry. So they are going to be people who can definitely speak on the topic. Like they've already done keynotes. Like don't book anyone for keynotes if they have not already done keynotes because you're basically giving an hour of their life, of your life to them. Uh, and, and, and they have to be able to bring in people. Like you have to be able to send emails and do press uh, for that person uh, to justify having an hour of their time, of like their effort. And anyone who's done that part almost always has done other keynotes before. And now a keynote can be either them doing a presentation or how I always do keynotes is me and my co-host um, just having a conversation with that person and talking about their career and answering questions uh, and, and answering questions from the audience. So it's much more like a keynote conversation than a keynote presentation. Yeah. The other panels are for subject matter experts. So subject matter experts are going to be people who have probably published some stuff, like can definitely speak on the thing that you're talking about, probably have a Facebook group that they go live in or a podcast or something, but they're not very well known, but they are well known in their industry. So for keynote conversations, uh, you're really looking for someone who random person, who has the best chance of a random person on the street knowing, uh, because then uh, that's going to help you with your press. Um, for the subject matter experts, you're trying to solidify people who are experts in your industry. So they might be rock stars in the thing that they're talking about. But outside of that, like outside of your industry, nobody knows who they are. But inside, they are quite well known. And that is 
the part where, uh, where I try to have two or three people on a panel. Because you're right, sometimes you uh, don't have chemistry with that person. Um, I try very hard to make sure I don't book any of those people by looking at their YouTube channel or something like that. If they don't do public stuff at all, like at all, yeah. I'm probably not going to book them. Because like, I'm, the thing I'm looking for is some sort of recognition from the broader range. It doesn't have to be big recognition, but uh, usually if someone has recognition, they've at least published papers, they've at least done something, and they can at least speak to that paper that they've published. Um, so I'm always booking somebody for a very specific reason. And I think that you can, I mean, you can have the 20 minute, 30 minute conversations. I mean, I spend half of the, half of the things that I book are from conversations that I've had before. So like, you know, like, this show, I had the pre-conversation, then this conversation. And then, so like now I'm doing, so you, you have to plan for that though in the, uh, in the, in, in how you're doing your, your setup. And I think that theoretically, uh, you should, you could make sure, uh, well, you should be, make sure that you're not just booking somebody because like they had a really cool idea, uh, at least for a virtual summit. You want to book somebody who has, uh, demonstrated a, an efficiency in a very specific topic because flow is so important to a virtual conference and having it go well. And so, for instance, the first uh, one of our, uh, of, of our last conference, maybe two conferences ago, was goals. So, like, I literally looked for people who've either been on my show or who I have met and seen speak or who I've at least seen on the interweb and seen that they demonstrate a proficiency and usually, even if someone is not a great speaker, if they can demonstrate a proficiency in one area, uh, I can at least get them to open up for like 10 minutes, especially if they're on a panel. But I am absolutely, I am uh, uh, very, very concerned about any time you, you, you give somebody a full hour with just them in a virtual summit setting. You know, with these podcasts, uh, I have a podcast too, and the podcasts are like the perfect way to like get somebody on and talk for an hour about a topic and well-known, unknown human beings. But when you're doing a virtual summit, you're sort of, your goal is to get the biggest, best reach humanly possible. And it's really hard to get that best reach if the people are not known. So you kind of are playing a, um, you're not playing a game, but you're, 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 it's a little bit different than doing a podcast because a podcast is 52 episodes. The virtual summit is like, you're probably going to run it once a year. So you want it to be like the absolute biggest, baddest thing that you can muster. If that makes sense. Yes, yes, absolutely. In terms of, I know you mentioned uh, in terms of time, how much time do you think it's roughly, uh, it's ideal or optimum in terms of delivering content and having a conversation? Would you say an hour, two hours? What would you say it's, it's, it would be the right amount? Sure. So I think if you're going to do keen, like, uh, like, PowerPoints, yeah. half an hour. Um, if you're not going to have any interaction, like a half an hour, maybe 40 minutes at the most, because people have to then watch this keynote for uh, an hour. Uh, for, uh, it's, it's a little bit, or this uh, presentation for an hour. So I think that, so I'll, I'll show, tell you my, my flow. My flow is uh, four hours of panels every day, two to three hours of keynotes every day. And that each day has a flow to it that you can say, if you come to this day of this thing, you will learn from this to this point of the process. 
on day two, you will learn this to this part of the process. So for instance, our last uh, one was the day one, we talked about how to make a comic book. So we had uh, idea, scripting, finding an artist, and hiring an editor were our four hours. And like, we're like, hey, by the time you get done with this day, you'll kind of know at least the basics of how to make a comic. And the second day was about branding and marketing and Kickstarter and selling the comics. So by the day, by the time you finish day two, you will know how to like get the comic into people's hands. And we did one on Hollywood and one on Kickstarter. And we had four, four panels. And each of those panels had two to three subject matter experts. And then my goal then is to have a big speaker at 9 a.m. or the first panel of the day. So the first panel of the day is where you're going to set sort of the rhythm of how many people are going to stay on your show for the whole time. I've now done this, not that many, I mean, three times, but each time within the first hour of the day, uh, we were able to have a baseline for the rest of the day. And, and, and we didn't really go, we never went above what that first panel did. So you want to make sure the first panel is who are like, hey, I got this huge guest that you are going to know. Again, it does not, this does not have to be like, um, I'm trying to think of a big guest, of a big like celebrity name, like Stephen Amell from Arrow or like, or Tom Cruise. It has to be somebody that's going to excite the base that you're in. So, you know, if you're doing, it might be like a securities expert, if you're doing a, uh, like a well-known securities expert, if you're doing like something in, uh, in bonds or trading or whatever it is, it uh, has to be something that they're like, well, I got to show up at nine or 10 or 11, whatever the, the, whatever the time frame that you're going to start in, because I want to ask that guy questions or that woman questions. And then you take that first guest and you do two hours of programming, uh, two hours of panels. And then right when people are kind of getting sick of the panels, you have another big guest to wake them up. Right. And, and then you're like, oh, well, I'm going to stay for this next panel because uh, we have a big, big guest coming up. Next. And then again, two hours of programming, panel programming. And then we, we try to end the day with a big guest also. I don't always get the guest at the end of the day, but it's always nice to have the guest at the end of the day to get that final boost. And then every time I have the big guest, I'm sending out an email to the people that registered saying, Hey, we're about to start for the day and we have Kevin Eastman. Oh, we have Marv Wolfman in the middle of the day. And so it, again, it, it gives me a reason to reach out to the people who registered to make sure that they are coming on uh, for the time, whatever time, and, and then they're going to stay. The big guests, again, should kind of, I don't want to say write themselves or like the, be able to bring in a bunch of people themselves, but they really should. Like they should be able to be like, if, if you are thinking about booking a show, what you want somebody to say is, holy crap, I can't believe you got that guy. You got that guy or that woman? Like, that's awesome. I've been, I, I've been following them for years, right? I've been knowing, I've been reading their work for years for like, I, 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 he's the head of, or she's the head of like, of Microsoft or some big company that like just went IPO or like whatever the thing is. It's just like the big guests are the ones who you have to be most worried about canceling because they have a lot to do, but also should be the ones that, you could talk to anyone in your industry and they would know, not just know who they are, but be super excited for that person to be on. Does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. And in terms of, you know, um, that's, a, that's a great strategy to do. You, you have the right guests at the right time where, where people stay uh, and kind of uh, looking forward to the next one. 
How do you, for events like you do, kind of have almost like half day or full day, how do you, other than kind of having those guests, how do you keep the audience engaged? Like, for example, this is a two-part question because, A, there's a, you know, people perceive that the value is different between a live event actually you go to and a, and a conference. And, and the other part is, you know, if I'm on my computer, even if, if I have someone who's come on and I really, you know, look up to them, I still might go off and, you know, while I have that on the side, browse around and look around. So you, you have them, but you don't have their full attention. How do you kind of make sure that that happened throughout those two hours? Is this, they're getting something out of it. They're, they're kind of listening. Sure. So there's a couple of ways. Uh, the first is all of our stuff is live. We don't do any pre-recorded. Um, I think pre-recorded is the death knell to getting interaction or to having people actually show up. Um, what I want is to, for to go live and then to spend as much time answering the questions from the audience as possible and make sure that I know I broadcast every about 15 minutes. We're doing questions. Make sure to have your questions. Have your questions ready. We are literally doing questions. And most, most, day, most uh, panel hours, I don't ask any questions that I have prepared. I ask only questions that the audience has prepared. It takes about 15 minutes to get them to, to, for some reason, every hour, it takes them about 15 minutes to start asking questions. I think it's because they want to kind of see what the flow is and who the people are. And like, so I generally have to prime the pump with one or two questions at the beginning. Um, but then almost every time, I, I can't think of a time where after 20 minutes, I wasn't all answering the questions from the audience. And so that is one great way to get engagement because you're actually like answering the questions and people are seeing that you're answering the questions. I mean, how often do you go to a conference and get an hour with, the big, with, with any guest to just literally ask your questions? Um, it doesn't happen to me very often. Usually it's a 40 to 45 minute panel and then 15 minutes of questions and I'll be lucky if my question gets answered. So that is yeah. the number one thing that we always do. Also, we, always, we, we, we try to then have breakout sessions. So for instance, we'll have a Facebook group and a, uh, like a Zoom room breakout session uh, and uh, we'll have two guests and we'll say, hey, and just so you know, um, a guest one is going to have a now a breakout session and guest two is going to be in our Facebook group so you can go ask questions. And we're broadcasting to that Facebook group so you can listen and ask questions to that guest or our, or our next guest at the same time. So they may not be always in the main room, but we want to give them reasons to come back to the main session to go and be engaged in the environment that is a conference. Because if you're thinking about a conference, you know, there is uh, not always... Uh, like, like you're not always in one panel room. Maybe you're on the vendor floor. Maybe you are on, uh, maybe you're in a breakout session. Maybe you're sitting and drinking coffee or when like talking to a couple of friends that you know. All of that is part of the convention experience. And we're trying to make sure that in the entire convention experience, they're getting, that they're, they're engaged in the convention, but it does not have to be in the keynote or in like one part. We just want to make sure that they're, doing something convention related because, and, and hopefully listening to us or listening to one of the guests or, or, or doing something. Another thing that we do a lot is we just do kind of like uh, writing sprint hours or like networking hours or like pitching hours. We brought in an agent one time to hear him, to have him listen to pitches. Uh, uh, we, did, uh, we did creator AMAs and a Facebook group that we created. We're just trying to create not an insane amount of work for us, but at least enough where people have two or three options every hour of what they can do. That makes sense. Right. Awesome. It's, it's almost giving people the variety of, you know, it's, this is a whole day event and you can try out different things. 
doesn't it? When you talked about, you know, you have guest A who's now going to be answering questions in the Facebook group, and then you have guest number two in the breakout room. Doesn't that kind of divide the audience or the kind of saying, you know, why that's answered my questions in terms of strategy saying, look, 45 minutes, 15, last 15 minutes. Yes, there's a, obviously there's a chance, big chance that your question may not be answered. But doing it the other way, does it not take away that, you know, once my question's answered, I've got what I wanted, I'm going to go. Yeah, possible. But I don't think that uh, I, I've never seen that to be the case. Uh, right. But sometimes, yes, you do have it. You do have someone. I think more likely what's going to happen is you have three guests. And what I've seen at shows from me doing a lot of shows and then running some shows is that usually somebody has very specific questions for one of the guests. Yeah. Like one of the people, they have more questions and that was, a, and, and they didn't have like that, that person maybe didn't answer exactly what it was or like they maybe didn't feel comfortable asking the questions with the other group. So I, I'm trying to give them the, a way to get those questions answered in, by the person that they needed to be answered by. Or maybe, you know, a lot of people, and, not, and, and, and rightfully so, feel rude asking 57 questions in one panel. Like they're yeah. like, I, I asked my one question and like now I'm going to be quiet. Or like maybe I asked two questions. Or but like I really have like 20 questions. And if, if, if someone's giving me like 30 minutes to go to like talk to them, I feel a lot better asking questions to just that one person. So, um, but yeah, you do have sometimes people come in. I mean, we've all been to conferences. Like how often do you just pop into a panel room and be like, yeah, no, that's not what I want. And then go to the next one and then go to the next one and like kind of like panel hop because you don't know exactly what you're going want to do. So I think that like having the Facebook group, having a breakout session, maybe having another breakout session where there's just like networking or talking about like whatever the, the, the thing was. Uh, it's just a way to be like, well, at the very least, I get to like go to this networking session or I can go to the Facebook group. And so I'm not so concerned with bifurcating the audience or, or diversifying the audience. I want them to have the experience that they want. The nice thing about being the host of the conference is like I get the credit even if, because I brought everyone together. Like, I, you know, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the, I am the mastermind. So like if, I, if, if someone is going off to do a breakout session by themselves, like on some level, I get credit for that if it goes well. If it goes badly, I also get blamed for it. But uh, same thing with the Facebook group. So I'm not concerned with them listening to me for 14 hours. I know I would not like to listen to me for 14 hours. Um, what, I, uh, what I'm trying to do is make sure that they never break engagement with the overall experience of the conference. And I have a lot of people who have, to, because it's virtual, they, they, they ask a question and they're kind of half listening in one ear and they're listening to the breakout session with the other ear and they are like writing or doing whatever the thing is. I think when you're doing a conference, you, we so often uh, focus on that main track or like the one thing, but the way to prevent someone from from abandoning the conference or not being engaged is to give them more things to do to a level, not like less things to do. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of uh, kind of building, um, you know, building up to the event, you know, okay, I've, I've seen, I, I like the guests that are coming in. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. How do you kind of build up the anticipation uh, and how much gap do you leave? Two weeks, three weeks before the event? Or, or uh, you know, I understand you might have different events quarterly or a big one at the end of the year. How do you kind of build that up? Because I might be I'm super excited. I'm definitely going to go to it. But when the time comes, oh, I, I, you know, 
I'm on a holiday or something else happens and I can't make it. So how much time do you give and how do you build that anticipation to, you know, making sure that as many people as possible come to the event? If you have advertising dollars, you can do this for a little bit longer amount of time. I'm quite guerrilla with all of my strategies. And I believe you get one shot to, to get all of the guests and all of the fans to engage and, and to actually like share stuff and to care. And so I build up for two weeks. My goal is that, it, uh, I mean, I do a little bit more because you have to, like, I put a press release together and then I put, I send it out to like websites that like, that, that, like the websites in my industry. And you generally have to do that a little bit further along maybe like three or four weeks out. As long as, as long as you're not trying to schedule an interview, you can usually get by with sending press like four, three to four weeks out, a little bit longer if you don't have a relationship with them. So I would say you know, two months out if you don't have a relationship. But if you have a relationship with some press contacts, then uh, you can do a press release. And I mean, I sent it out two weeks before because I wanted everything to coalesce in this like last week of the convention. I like, like this is like, it's all happening this week. And so I do a little bit like uh, the, the week, the two weeks before I have all of the graphics made in each panel or keynote gets its graphic. And then I spend... Uh, however many hours I'm going to have programming, uh, I kind of count backwards and I'm doing one reveal a day. So maybe it's three weeks out because I want to do the reveal a day and have each person be in, in all the places that I can, can be, all my Facebook group and my Twitter profile, all of that stuff. One, uh, like, like I'm revealing one, maybe two a day, uh, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, and I'm tagging that one person, not everybody. But then uh, the week before, I am, uh, I'm again introducing hours uh, that we're going to have, but I'm giving the presenters all of the social media information, all of the links and everything and being like, this is the time. I'm not asking for a lot. I'm just saying two social media shares this week. In your, e in your email will be better, but two social media shares before the event and then right before you go on the air. That's what I would like to see. Uh, I don't think that's a lot to ask. But I'm trying to save the anticipation. I'm trying to build the anticipation to, to hit on that final day, on the first day of the... the, the and so I'm, I'm doing... I'm sort of pulling back the rubber band every day so that people know that this is coming, this is coming. Uh, the, the, their fans are... The people are announcing it to their fans. It's really hard to like announce something a month before and have someone put it on their calendar. Most people are looking on social media like the week or the day before the thing. Like they're not, like, I'm not, I'm very rarely being like, oh, that's coming in three months. Let me write it down. I mean, how often do we do that? I just don't, I, I personally don't do it. I don't know many people who see a thing once on social media. And if it's like three months out are like, I need to do that right now, especially when it's a free event that you don't need to pay for. And there's not a seating limit. People can just find like that week. People can go if they want or not go if they want. Now, I've gotten some slack from some flack for this from people because they want me to do more promotion, which I've never heard before. They want me to do more promotion earlier. They want me to like, but A, I don't spend a lot of time putting these conventions together. You know, I don't want to spend six months putting it together. That is how I thought conventions were. And they are not like I put most of my conventions the month before the convention because I, I want to know whether they're going to be available that week, you know, like I don't like, you know, I, all of this is live the day of. So I, I want to make sure that they're going to be there. So sometimes that I have to 
contact them and they say, contact me, suit closer to the date. So, cause I don't know. Uh, because you know, most of uh, all of our stuff so far has been like unpaid by the presenter part. Like if they get something better, they're going to not do my show. So I don't want to tell them, I don't want to book them like months out. So I don't even start thinking about the show really until a month before we do it. And then I'm really not booking until like three weeks before we're doing the show. I'm kind of, uh, we, we kind of make our list a month before and then we start reaching out to people. And then hopefully two weeks out, we'll have our, our list of presenters. Like, you know, so we don't even have a full list of presenters until like two or three weeks out from the show uh, because we want to keep it like exciting and excitement. You know, I've, I've, I've done several of these virtual summits before that are pre-recorded and uh, I have hated every one of them. Not because I have disliked the show or the presenter or the person. I love those people. They're wonderful. Like, like, like when I was doing it, I was super excited. But what ends up happening is I have to book a pre-record. I have to book the show. Then I have to, then I have to send it to my email list. And then I have to like share it on social media. And then I have to share the day of. And in the day of, I then have to be in a Facebook group to answer questions for stuff. And I'm like, that's like a month and a half. I'm like thinking about this show. And with like weeks in between my excitement, whereas if I can do it like the week of, and I'm like, oh yeah, like I'll, I'll if I only have to spend the one day on it, because like now when you do it, when I'm doing it the way I do it, or the methodology that I use is, hey, if I tell you to be on a show two weeks out and you are excited about it, and it's going to build and build and build and build and build and build and build until we do the show, and then you don't have to do anything. Like your mind space is is fresh when you're doing the show. All you've got to worry is that hour. And then once that hour is over, it's done. You have to share before the event, share a couple of times in that week before. But all of that excitement is only being used once. Where I feel like with pre-recorded events, uh, my biggest excitement level is when I'm recording. And then my excitement level goes down. And once excitement level goes down, it's really hard to bring it back up again for presenters, for attendees, for anybody. The advantage of a pre-recorded show is that you know exactly what you're going to get. But I would, I would contend that that's also a disadvantage because part of the beauty of a live event is uh, that you have no idea what, it's go- what you're going to get. I know we've been talking uh, about like before this that my, 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 my video has been slowly getting less and less in focus as this interview has gone on. It started out pretty in focus and now it's like really bad and I don't know what's going on. I gotta go fix this afterwards. In a uh, live event, this is kind of charming. In a pre-recorded event, like this is slightly unprofessional, but uh, so there are all sorts of random stuff that happens that are actually endearing in a live event. For instance, uh, a cat will always jump up on, on one of the presenter's tables every time. It's happened every single time. I don't know when <laughs> it's going to happen or which day or which hour, but there's always going to be a cat. Like if it was pre-recorded, I would then have to go back and cut that cat out and like re-ask a question. But because it's live, I don't get that option. I've had people make a big hand gesture and like destroy their whole setup. And uh, I've, I've had uh, all sorts of crazy stuff happen. And because it's in that moment, people find it charming and endearing. And uh, that's what I'm looking for in these live events. Uh, you know, I'm never going to max to match uh, Netflix's quality or the yeah. quality of like a big event. Like I'm podcast movement. They're always going to have better tech than me. 
Uh, they just will because like they are a multi-million dollar company and I ran these three conventions with total of $200. So I like, it's going to be a lot more. Uh, they're just going to do it better. But what I can do better is like curate an experience and I can curate the experience of that weekend, which is why I always recommend live events to do it live because then you have some of that electricity. You have some of that that like lightning in a bottle. People are asking each other questions. And like in the chats, you'll see people like ask questions and then respond to questions in the chat. Like you'll see friendships being made in the chat. You'll see people follow you throughout the day. You know, you'll be able to ask questions. You'll be able to do with a Facebook group and talk about like what you like, like right in that moment. And the creators and the, the, the presenters and the attendees are all having the same experience together instead of with pre-recorded where you're having an experience weeks before you've forgotten about the experience and then and now you have to like build hype for the experience again and act as if like it just happened so hey that sounds like a whole lot of work for me like i me like I, that's just so much work like i've got to now like pre-interview people interview people record stuff edit stuff and do all of this stuff like before it like, this is why I didn't do a live event before because I was like, oh my God, that's so much effort. Like how much work do I have to do? I've got to do like, if I want 20 hours of recordings, I've got to like talk to a hundred people, interview like that is just no, that is just a no for me. But there's a lower bar to entry for live events because like, it just is, it just is because like, and people are, know that everything's going wrong. Like anything could go wrong at any moment. There's always that like anticipation that like, oh my God, what's going to happen next instead of that curative experience. So, you know, if I stammer or stutter while I'm on the air, like it's, it's just, that's live. That's what I can't do anything about it. If I, um, if like one of the presenters goes down, then I have, then, then, then I can still talk to the other presenter. If me as a host has to go deal with something, I have another host. So I'm like creating redundancies. But for me, the thing that people have said in all of our comment sections is how much they enjoyed having it live and having the electricity and asking the questions and meeting the new people and having this curating experience. And I'll be honest, like the audio was kind of horrible at some points. Like some of the people, like it took forever to get them on the air and but that's part of it. Like, like, I don't know, like, like, like the, the flaws are kind of what make those live events beautiful. And when it's recorded, I'm always like, what is the thing that's going to go wrong? And how, is, 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 and, and how can I prevent it? And oh my God, I've got to go back and like change this one word because uh, it wasn't perfect. Yeah, it's almost like that. Like people obviously, uh, you know, when, you, when they see people, the guests that they were looking, uh, looking up to and wanted to see, when they see the imperfections there, they're almost like, you know what, I can relate to that and that's fine and that's cool. And in my, many of my podcasts, you know, my, my niece or someone has just sneaked in somehow, opened the door and I forgot, forgot to lock the door. They've sneaked in or, you know, they've come in and, and, and the person said, oh, and I can completely understand that. And I, and I agree with you, but a lot of the marketing people say, why would you do live events? You could just pre-record it and then, you know, use it. And I agree that there's the connection that you build in a live environment. It's very difficult in the pre-recorded and nobody wants to, you know, people want their questions answered. As, they, as they're watching you, they're like, actually, I've got a question on that. Pre-recorded doesn't, doesn't cut it. And, but in terms of repetitiveness and, 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 and marketing it, the marketing people advise differently. So when you run your live events, 
And would you then go ahead and share the, the recording after that with those people or the people that weren't able to attend or have to leave it halfway through or that's All right, it? So here's a, this is a really good question and a really important one. I believe that you should have a main feed that you give to everybody that is free to attend because then you can get marketing. Uh, even if you have other stuff behind a, a paywall or something, like one of the things we're exploring for the future is the main feed is free, but then you pay to do the breakout sessions and all the other stuff. Got it. But the other thing about the breakout sessions, about the main feed is I think that you should have the main feed as kind of your marketing forever. Like you should be able to send it to people, post it on YouTube, do whatever the thing is. But there should be an ephemeral part of your show, a part that you cannot get anywhere else because then, then you kind of lock in that they have to be there. You know, I have a lot of people that said afterwards, are you going to record the breakout sessions? And I was like, no, we're not recording the breakout sessions. That is for people who attend on the day of. You can listen to the show later, but you can't get the breakout sessions. In our last one, uh, Alt-FCD, we had a Facebook group that had 80 free comics in it. And I was like, on Monday, those comics go away. You can't get them again. Like It's an ephemeral. You have to be in the Facebook group during the time of the show. Otherwise, the comics are not going to exist there. And I think it's really important to push people to, to attend that they know that there is going to be a, 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 a pre-recorded part because they're going to miss something. Like They're going to miss some part of it they're going to want to see again or some person they're going to want to see again or the guests will want to like have it so that they can share it with people as well because the guests, you know, they're going to want to get their clip and they're going to want to post that part on, online and like they're going to want to put it in their reel to like, and that there it is. Like there's, there's a thing that everybody gets. Uh, and there's a lot of people that say, I'm not going to be able to be there on Saturday. Is it going to, are, are you going to record it? Or like, I'm not, I'm going to have to leave half of the day. And I'm like, yeah, like that part is recorded. But A, if you don't show up, you don't get asked live questions, which is like part of the whole thing. But more importantly, like the, the ephemeral part is only going to exist during the course of the show. And, 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 and if you miss the ephemeral part, you've missed it. And you, you, you then have a reason to be like, man, I was really glad I was there. Or man, I really wish that I had done it. And I'm going to do it next time. Because you always are fighting this part that's, well, I'll just catch the replay. Or, or yeah. like, ah, it's not that important if I show up. So I always want to make sure that like, no, it's really important that you show up. Just like if you, you, you wouldn't not attend a conference that like you paid for that was in person. So you can't not attend this one because the panels are only a very small part of the overall experience. You know, the experience is having the live event and asking the live questions and making connections with people at the show and all of those things that happen, that like immediacy of like two people meet in a hallway and then they like close a deal like, like a month later after the show. All of those things are, are pieces that, that, you are, tr I'm trying to recreate during the course of a show. So like if you wanted to do a pre-recorded event, for instance, I would say, well, what can you do that is, uh, that is uh, uh, ephemeral on that week of? So like maybe you do the pre-recorded interview with a group of people, but then the day of you have a breakout session with one of them to answer the questions. But like it's on Zoom, it's live and it's at a time. So like you've got to show up that day. I also find that a lot of these, the these conventions are happening over like a week or two weeks and they'll post like one video a week or a day or two videos a day. And like, I think that's ridiculous. Like, because what now you're, now you're, now you're telling them that like, 
oh, you, you don't have, this isn't that important. It's just an, an hour a day. At least if you're doing the pre-recorded things, like have them all go forth in, a de- in the same day, like or the same two-day period. Like have it all mixed together so that like I, as a presenter, can go and watch other presenters and that I, as a fan, can go watch more stuff and that I can be in that Facebook group answering questions and, but, and there's a reason for you to have it on that day. Because like, hey, Russell's got a presentation, uh, but then like during the presentation and after, for an hour afterwards, he's going to be in our Facebook group answering questions. That's the only time. After that two hours, he's, I'm, I'm deleting that thread. But uh, for those two hours, he'll be there answering all of your questions. Or he's going to have a breakout session right after his panel that you can ask him questions for. And then like you still make it an experience. You've pre-recorded it, but you've still made it an experience instead of extending it over days. People seem to think that like extending something over many days makes it more valuable, but it makes it way less valuable. Like if you had to go to, if you had to listen to one song of a concert every day for a week, like you would just stop, you just burn out on it. You wouldn't do it. You wouldn't, you wouldn't care. Like, like, so having it all stacked in one day or two days and making it like a big event, A, it helps your publicity because now everybody is in the same thing. Everybody is pushing to the same thing all of the people are sharing posts on the same day at the same time. But it also, and then it also makes the, the thing feel bigger. You know, if you have 100 people attend uh, over the course of seven days, you've got 10 people a day. If you've got 100 people doing in one day, that's like, that, that, does, that changes the volume of, of like how many posts you're going to get how, and how much interaction you're going to get with those people. Sure. Wow, that's, the, that's, that's some real insights there. We're now coming towards the end of the show, and I'm sure there's, there's, there's always, uh, you know, this question, some people will have that on their mind because you're always worried about what can go wrong. And, you know, and one of the questions will be, what kind of equipment do you need? And what, what kind of the basic things that you need to get, make sure that, you know, the quality is, is as best as possible without breaking the bank, of course. Sure. So uh, my webcam usually works very well. I don't know what's going on with it right now, but uh, you need a webcam. I, pr- I recommend like a non like not the one on your camera, on your computer, like a separate one that you can get that's nicer. Yeah. Um, you need a microphone. Uh, so I have a Blue Yeti, but you don't need like, to necessarily get a Blue Yeti. You can get a, a ATR 2100 or something cheaper, but like you are setting the pace. So I understand when I'm going to a virtual summit that not everyone will have this equipment, but I do expect that the host at least has like a nice webcam, nice audio, and then like hat and like and can easily switch between people. So those are the three main pieces. You need like a way zoom or whatever, however you're going to record. You need a microphone and you need a webcam and uh, earphones. Also, uh, most people have earphones. They don't have to be great, but like some some set of earphones. But yeah, you want to look nicer. I mean, I for as far as lighting goes, I only have a, a lamp and then our main and the main la- uh, lamp for the room. And like I think that lights fine. So I don't think you need like lighting or like a big, awesome studio, but you do need something, uh, a base level. I have a, a web page where I have put all of this information down of what I've learned in the past three conventions at thecompletecreative.com forward slash uh, virtual conference. And uh, if you go there, you'll be able to see, it's like a 10,000 word blog post where I talk about uh, flow and form and how to get guests and how to interview guests and the tech you need and uh, all sorts of options that you have. Awesome. Russell, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Thanks. 
I hope you got some great value and insights from this episode. If, and if you're someone who wants to transition from being an employee to an entrepreneur, then I have some great free resources for you. If you visit www.jazbearaurora.com, that's www.jazbearaurora.com, and drop me a line, I will send you an ebook and also a one-hour masterclass. And also um, go and take the Escape the 95 survey. Uh, which will help you understand where you are right now um, and where the gaps are in your knowledge to transition from being an employee to an entrepreneur. And if you're a business and you need help growing or if you have any uh, issues that you'd like to discuss, then yeah, once again, visit the website and I'll be more than happy to help you. Thank you for listening.